All right. I'm glad you're here. And let me make one quick announcement. If you want to be on our email list, please, there is a kind of a contact card on this round table on the way out. Fill that out. You can get on our email list. And then also, we have a Facebook group. If you're not in that and want to be, uh, that's one of our ma- major channels for getting announcements out about kind of upcoming events. So just a reminder about those two things. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 42 through 47. Listen, I realize in the past couple of weeks we have talked a lot about the Holy Spirit, and I understand that might be unsettling for some of us, because how do we really make sense or know that this invisible, hard to understand mysterious force is really at work in our hearts? Well, the answer really is pretty simple and pretty straightforward. The answer is that life follows the Spirit. Life always leaves awake. Life always comes with signs. You all know I have three young children, four, a four-year-old, two-year-old, and one-year-old. If you know anything about young children, you know that in the early years of their life, in the early years of your life, you got sick a lot. Why? Well, because children are building up their immune system, and so they catch any and everything that's out there. Every virus, every bug we normally get, and it normally runs through our entire family. And what tends to happen is, is especially for parents of young children, it's always the dilemma. Do I take them to the doctor? Do we just ride it out and hang on for dear life? That's the question. Well, as we have been through the past couple of years and a lot of sickness, we've come to understand there really are signs that your child is okay. The first sign is, are they still eating? Do they still have an appetite? The second sign is, are they sleeping? And the third sign is, are they still somewhat playful? And the doctors assure us that if those things are happening, then we can have confidence that our child is okay and we, just, we don't need to bring them into the doctor's office and we can just ride out the virus. Likewise, there are signs of the, that the Spirit is at work in your life, and in the life of community. And in the book of Acts, Luke shows us some of these signs in chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Before I read, let me just mention something here I want to make sure we're clear on. As we read, you're going to think, man, this is the perfect community. And some of you might be a little bit like, there's no way things could be that good as we read this description of the early church. This does not mean that the early church was perfect. How do we know? Well, if we look a couple of chapters ahead, we see that the church was full of hypocrites. Ananias and Sapphira actually get struck down because they were stealing from the church. We also, if we read on, we'll know that the church... The early church was started to have doctrinal errors in it. And so 
This does not mean the early church was perfect by any stretch of the means. However, Luke does give us a picture of what things were like in the days following Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit. So let's look at the signs of the Spirit, the signs that Jesus is at work in a community. Look at verses 42 through 47. This is God's Word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came up on every sow, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, you have shown us in this passage what it looks like for you to be at work in a community. This is a challenging passage for us because we don't always see these things happening in our midst, in our churches, in our ministry, in our lives. And so would you come and challenge and convict us uh, through this passage tonight. We need you, Holy Spirit, uh, to teach us Would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen. I heard a story this week about a 31-year-old woman who had moved to Dallas, Texas. True story. She'd moved to Dallas, Texas, and while she was moving, you know, she was kind of unsettled and hadn't found a a physician, you know, a regular doctor to attend. And so she calls her brother, who is a doctor, and asks him to prescribe Claritin for her. Uh, it's no big deal, she thought. Would you please, since I'm trying to get settled here, prescribe this medication for me? Her brother said, yes, no problem, but you need to get a physician there so that you can uh, you know, get regular checkups and get him or her to prescribe this medication for you. Sure, no problem. Two months later, guess what? Calls, wants the same favor from her brother. He reluctantly does it again. A year later, she calls and wants her brother to call in another prescription for her. And at this point, he says, no, I'm not going to do it. You're going to have to grow up, be an adult, go get a doctor, go get a regular checkup and have a doctor uh, that knows you and is treating you prescribe this medication, this Claritin, uh, this allergy medicine for you. So she reluctantly goes to the doctor. And she is getting a routine physical. You know, when you go to first time to a physician, they give you a physical. And so she's getting this physical. And the doctor, as they're chatting, how are you doing? Where are you from? Puts the, the stethoscope up to her heart. And she stops. The doctor stops mid-sentence and says, what is going on with your heart? This woman replies, what do you mean what's going on with my heart? I'm 31 years old. I'm perfectly healthy. There's nothing going on with my heart. Give me my Claritin. <laughs> 
The doctor says, no, there is something seriously wrong with your heart, and I need to get you to someone. I can't treat you. I need to get you to a cardiologist, someone who can help you. So she's, okay, whatever. And so that day, they got her in to see a cardiologist. She goes back, and the tech hooks her up to an EKG, and the tech, they're chatting away with one another. The tech says, what is going on with your heart? The physician, she goes and tells the physician immediately. The physician comes in and says, we're going to take an ultrasound of your heart. We're going to hook you up to a stress test and on a treadmill. We're also going to send you home tonight with a sleep monitor so that we can monitor your heart at night and try to figure out what's going on. She goes home wears the sleep monitor, comes back. She's talking to the physician. The physician's looking at the results and come to find out her dead asleep, middle of the night, conked out, just totally out of it, heart rate, resting heart rate, was 150 beats per minute. And so she is totally... Like, what is going on? And the doctor looks at her and says, you don't understand. She's like, give me my clarity. And the doctor says, you don't understand. You are in a dangerous place with your heart. And then the woman looks at the doctor and says, well, other than my heart, everything else is okay, right? And the doctor replies, ma'am, there is no health apart from your heart. She ended up in having surgery to correct the problem. In Acts chapter 2, we hear something similar from another physician. A physician named Luke, who comes to us tonight and he says, there is no health in a community apart from devotion to God's Word, devotion to fellowship, and devotion to evangelism. Luke here is providing us with vital signs for a a spirit-filled community. And here's what we need to understand. These things come as a package deal. We are in the business and we're very good at picking out things that we like. Luke doesn't let us do that here. If Jesus is at work in a community, all of these things, devotion to the word, true fellowship, evangelism, will be happening in some form or fashion and to some degree. Now that doesn't mean that we're not going to be stronger in some areas and weaker than others, but in some form, these things will be happening. So let's look at them individually, these vital signs for a healthy community. The first one is, a healthy community is devoted to teaching. It's devoted to the scriptures. Look at verse 42. This verse, though you can't see it in your English translations, it literally says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they were continually devoted to the Bible. When Jesus is at work in your life, when Jesus is at work in a community, 
there is a hunger for the Bible. There is a love for God's Word. There is a devotion to it. You can't get enough of it. You want to read it. You want to study it. You want to memorize it. And we live in a day when the Bible is readily available. In fact, some of you here probably have six, seven, maybe eight Bibles in your homes right now. Some of you might have multiple copies of the Bible even in your dorm room. And we take that for granted because the truth is it, didn't, it hadn't always been the case. In fact, it wasn't the case in the days of the Bible itself. They had no Bibles. In fact, you were very fortunate if you attended a synagogue that actually had the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. Even in the first hundred years of the church, very few Christians actually had Bibles. And so how did they learn about the Bible, you might ask? Good question. It's very simple. They studied it. They memorized it. They meditated on it. They hid it deep within their hearts. They thought about it all the time. And now here we are in 2010, and we just don't have printed Bibles. We have Bibles that we can get on the internet. We have Bibles on our computers. We have Bibles on our iPhones and on our cell phones. But guess what? We are living in the most biblically illiterate age of all time. And the Bible is more available than ever. A recent survey said that on average, Christians can only recite three out of the Ten Commandments. And you might argue, well, Jason, I, I, yeah, but come on. You know, like, if the Bible is available, why do I have to remember them? I can just look them up. Okay, I, I get that. But, let's say you were to go to a physician. You were to fall outside of the flag colonnade and break your arm, and you were to go to the doctor, and you walked in, and the doctor comes, and he looks at your arm, and he says, Hmm, can you wait right here? I need to go look at my medical books. I'm not really sure what kind of break that is, and I'm not really sure what I... I'm supposed to do about it. But I'll go look at my medical books and I'll come right back. You just wait right here. What would you do? I'll tell you what you would do. You would do what I would do. You'd be out of that office in a second and probably be seeing another doctor before that doctor could even get back in the room. Why is that? Because you want your doctor... To fix your broken arm from his or her heart. You want that information to be such a part of them that they know it, that they can just fix it and apply what they've learned without having to look it up. A few weeks ago, 
My daughter, Kate, the four-year-old, she's in preschool at Covenant Day School right across the street here from Sanford. And a few weeks ago, she was the honeybee of the week. And here's what this means. If you are the honeybee of the week, you get to take home the honey bear. And the honey bear is basically the class mascot, okay? It's this bear, just normal teddy bear. I'll never forget it. When I pull up to pick Kate up from school, Kate walks out holding honey bear, and she is smiling from ear to ear. And she takes honey bear home, and she dresses honey bear in a dress. She puts bloomers on honey bear. She takes and puts honey bear in a high chair at the dinner table. Honey bear plays with her. Honey bear takes a nap with her. Honey bear sleeps with her. Honey bear goes to church with us and even rides in a car seat. Now why? Why? Because you see, honey bear was precious to her. And look, that's a silly illustration. But here's my question. Is the Bible that precious to you? You see, it's supposed to be. The Bible is supposed to be more precious than jewels. It is supposed to be sweeter than honey. Even honey on the comb. It is meant to revive our souls. And when we meditate on it, we should know it so well that when it comes time to apply it, We apply it because we know it. And it's a part of our lives. We say Jesus is precious to us. We say the word is precious to us. But do we ever talk about it? Do we really hide it in our hearts and devote ourselves to it? You see, the first vital sign of a healthy community is they are devoted to the scriptures into the Bible. Secondly, the second vital sign for a healthy community is they are devoted to fellowship. You see, there's more to this healthy community that Luke is describing than just knowing the Bible, than just having all this head knowledge. You see, you can know all the doctrine and all the theology and know the Bible cover to cover and still be an immature Christian. How so? Well, because the Bible is never meant to be simply knowledge. The Bible is meant to be worked out in our lives, in the world around us, and into the fellowship that we have with one another. And so the second vital sign is a devotion to fellowship. Look at verse 42 again. They devoted themselves not only to the teaching of the apostles, but also to fellowship. They were devoted to to a community of believers. Look at verse 44. Luke elaborates on this fellowship, and he says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. This early group of believers stood out in the world because they were loyal to one another. They weren't loyal to the world and to their idols. They were loyal to each other. And I wonder what 
outsiders would say we are loyal to as they look at us and they look at our lives. You see, over the years, people have actually taken this passage, you might have heard this, but this passage in the book of Acts and said that the early church was actually a communist organization because they would... They were known, they thought that they would put all of their things together and share them with one another. But we know that is not the case and that is not true because look at the passage. 44 through 46, it says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all and to those as they had need. The giving was voluntary. It wasn't something that was dictated by the government. And the people still had personal property. How do we know? Look at verse 46. They met where? In their homes. They had homes. They had personal property. If you look at the rest of the book of Acts, it talks about meeting in their homes all throughout the book of Acts. What Luke is saying here, and the point he is making, is that these early Christians took care of their own. They were committed to one another. Their fellow Christians were the most important community in their lives. Think about that. The most important community in their lives were other Christians and the fellowship that they had with them. If I were to ask you, what is the most important community in your life, what would you say? you would say the same thing that I said. I was very challenged as I was studying for this message because more times than not, we would say the most important community in our life is what? Our family. And we forget that Jesus actually says that our first family is to be His family and to those that are devoted to Him those that obey and follow him. We even go so far as to say our first family and our first allegiance is our sorority or our fraternity or the college that we attended or are attending. And there's nothing wrong with fraternities and sororities. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying oftentimes so many other things we are devoted to other communities other than the community of faith. And let me say this as gently and as plainly as possible. This passage challenges us because it says if we're ever going to reach this world for Christ, if we're ever going to move forward as the church in the world, the first and foremost, our allegiance and loyalty has to be with the people of God. That is what the Bible teaches. And here's the truth. The truth is, this is, this is hard. It's hard for us to be loyal to our community for a few reasons. Because one, our culture, this takes commitment. It takes commitment and we hate commitment. Our culture is pushing against this because what we tend to think is that if we don't like it or if it's uncomfortable, we're often not committed to it. Or... We want to keep our options open. Or yes, we might be committed, but 
only until something better comes along. But also we see the culture push, push against this because now more than ever we are often consumers when it comes to our fellowship and when it comes to our community. About a month ago we sat down for dinner. Dinner time at my house is chaos. And we sat down and we only had one princess plate. I've got three girls. You know where this is going. We gave the one princess plate to Elizabeth. She's potty training and she's doing well. And so we decided to celebrate that. And we gave that one princess plate to Elizabeth and it was a four alarm meltdown all out by Kate. She, it just got totally, it was off the charts. And she looks at us and says this sentence, You make me sad because you're not giving me everything that I want. (laughs) We laughed and we're laughed here tonight. But here's the truth. The truth is that is often how we approach community. That's how we approach the body of Christ. When we don't get everything that we want from a community or from a fellowship, then we get sad and we get angry and we go looking elsewhere until we find it. You see, because of our self-centeredness, we often become consumers. And instead of giving, instead of serving, and instead of loving, we become takers. And we say things like, what's in it for me? How can I be happy? How can I use this person so that I can get what I want? Do you want fellowship? Do you want true, rich fellowship? Then you must be a giver. Because that's the only way you're ever going to have fellowship. Fellowship is more than just hanging out having a strawberry goodness at O. Henry's after RUF. True fellowship cost. It cost you something. It cost you time. It cost you money. It cost you comfort. True fellowship means that you spend time with people. It means that you get into their lives It means that you share your struggles with them and they share their struggles with you. It means that instead of hurrying back to the library so that you can get an A, it means that you take a lower grade so that you can love somebody that needs to be loved. It means that you weep with those that weep instead of talking about them behind their backs. It means that you rejoice with those that rejoice instead of becoming envious of what they have and what's happened in their life. It means that you give generously from your pocketbook to those that are in need in the community that you're in. I saw this happen a few months ago. Right before Christmas, I get a call from a student in RUF that says, Hey, I heard so-and-so has a need. And I want to give to them anonymously. Can I run this by? And can you give this to them? I want them to have it this Christmas. You see, true fellowship means that you give. 
You've got friends that are going on mission trip. How can you help them, those that need to be helped and supported? You see, so many people never enjoy real fellowship because they never give themselves away. And the encouraging thing is, is I'm actually seeing this happen. And many of you are seeing this type of thing happen in RUF. However, rather than seeing it happen every now and then here and there, Luke is saying this should be happening all the time. Every day. All over the place. In this community. So the vital signs of a spirit-filled community. Devoted to the word and devoted to fellowship. Lastly, devoted to evangelism. Look at verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. When Jesus is at work and the Spirit comes on and is at work in a community, that group of people start to relate to the world differently. They start to look out and see people differently. Many of you know, I've shared this story before, but I have contact lenses. I wear glasses like many of you, and I'll never forget the first time that I realized that I needed glasses. I don't, you know, I've always wondered, why did I just one day wake up and I couldn't see? I don't really get that. But one day I was a ninth grader, and I was in the back of the room, and I couldn't see the board. And so I went up to the front, and I was like, something's going on. I need help with my eyes. And so I went home. I told my mom about it. I made an appointment to the optometrist, to the eye doctor, and I was nearsighted. I could see and read things close up, but I couldn't see things that were far away. And so I'll never forget, and you might have had this similar experience, walking out for the first time, 2020 vision. I mean, it was amazing. I was like, what have I been missing? I mean, it was a whole new world. For the first time, I could see everything in the same light. I could see things that were close, as well as I could see things that were far away. That day, I began to see everything, things far and things near, in the same light. When the Holy Spirit comes, when Jesus comes and he is at work in a community, we start to see all people in the same light. We start to relate to the world around us differently. We stop seeing Kyos versus Zetas. We stop seeing rich versus poor. We stop seeing black skin and white skin. We stop seeing Alabama fans and Auburn fans. We stop reading labels on cars and on clothes. Can we talk? Everything in your life has pushed against this and has prevented you from seeing all people the same. The neighborhoods you grew up in, even the churches you attended, the schools that you went to, the way you were raised... All of those things, listen, and not intentionally. I'm not saying you're consciously doing this. Some of you might be, but 
I'm not saying that. I'm just saying all of those factors in our life have made us see ourselves as better than other people. In our heart of hearts, we really don't believe we're all the same. And here's the truth of the gospel. The gospel says that at the foot of the cross, it's all level. It's all level. At the foot of the cross, Jesus sees us as all the same. The gospel says that even on our best day, think about the best day you've ever had spiritually. This is the best day you've ever had, period. Someone had to die for you. Even on your best day. All of us, the Bible says, desperately need a Savior. We desperately need Jesus. And we're either in need of a Savior or we have a Savior. And if that is true, we've got to stop giving up on people. Who have you given up on? Who is the one person that you're praying for to become a Christian? How do you see and relate to the world around you? Do you dream and see that one day that this room would be filled up with people who aren't like you? With new believers, people that have just come to faith, and people that are way different than you. You should hope that that one day happens because that is a sign that Jesus is at work. Remember the doctor who said there is no health apart from your heart? Acts chapter 2, Luke tells us that there is no health in a community apart from devotion to the word, devotion to one another in fellowship, and devotion to evangelism. I long for us to be this kind of community. And the exciting thing is, is I think we're headed there. I think we're moving in the right direction. And by the grace of God, we'll continue to head that way. Let's pray and ask God to continue to work in our midst. In our midst.